Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast, where we have conversations about education, leadership, and building a school of excellence. The goal on this show is to bring you clarity, up-level your mindset, and give you practical strategies and inspiration so you can show up with confidence and trust your decision-making. I'm Khani Wolshansky. I'm a mom of four under 10, a former New Yorker, and been in the early childhood field my entire life. And I'm so grateful that you've joined me for this conversation. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Schools of Excellence podcast. Today's episode, well, it's really a two-part series today and next week's episode on distress tolerance as a school leader. At the time of this recording, we're kind of coming up at the end of the summer here, and I just came off of speaking at two really big childcare conferences throughout the summer. And my keynote presentation at both events was really focused on distress tolerance, really understanding how to build the capacity for discomfort, for sitting in the discomfort, and knowing how to navigate distress and regulate ourselves in moments of stress. So in today's episode, I'm really going to dive into the concepts of distress tolerance and resilience in the childcare industry specifically. So if you look around kind of following anywhere, you'll notice a lot of content creeping up on nervous system regulation, on emotional regulation. And so today's episode is very dialed into how this pertains specifically to the childcare industry. As childcare professionals, as school leaders, you will encounter lots and lots of challenges that trigger stress and overwhelming emotions. And so my goal in today's episode is to really shed some light on the significant correlation between distress tolerance, how to build that, and resilience, and really talking about the effective ways to manage all of this in a very demanding field like childcare. We really need to seek a clear understanding of what distress tolerance is. So let's talk about the definition before I dive in a little bit further. Distress tolerance refers to our ability to endure and manage uncomfortable emotions that arise in response to adversity, stressors, chaos, ambiguity, uncertainty, all of those things. Distress tolerance really involves navigating through difficult situations, uncomfortable emotions with grace, and really finding ways to cope with the overwhelm of emotions that come at you without hurting other people in the process. 
right? That's what distress tolerance is. I think our industry has focused a lot on resilience, especially since COVID. But resilience is different. Resilience signifies our capacity to bounce back and recover from difficult experiences. But first, we have to know how to sit in that discomfort. We have to know how to do that. Because as childcare professionals, you, your leadership team, your staff, your directors, any of the teachers, it doesn't matter what ring of leadership they're in, they are going to deal with a plethora of stressors throughout the day. I always say childcare is full of thousands of micro moments of discomfort, tons of them throughout the day. You know, you can have discomfort with something as simple as trying to get 15 toddlers mittens on, try getting them in between the fingers. It's not easy. And if you already are sitting at super high stress level and now we add this new stressor, that can trigger a whole heap of emotions with the children and actually cascade a whole bunch of behavioral challenges with the kids simply because the teacher or whoever's leading that classroom is really struggling with distress tolerance, is really struggling with understanding how to manage and sit with those difficult emotions. And so the constant influx of stressors throughout the day, because part of being in a childcare classroom is you're going to have different stressors, really takes an emotional toll on the well-being of the teachers that are leading that classroom, which eventually leads to burnout. So we really need to understand this from a high level meta level, and then we can go and kind of go into the micro of how do we make this practical. And I know so many of you are listening to this and want me to go right away to the tips and tricks and the strategies. But if we don't understand what the problem actually is, and we're not cognizant of the impact of whatever problem we're trying to solve is actually having on your company, on your retention, on your profitability, on your brand reputation, on your community, you need to understand the impact so that you can decide and discern what is the next best move that you need to make inside of your organization. Another aspect that I'm going to highlight in today's episode is really understanding how to cultivate a positive mindset. So I saw a really interesting reel a couple of months ago on Instagram, which I thought was like fantastic. And this guy was talking, he was being interviewed by a mom podcast, and he was talking about how we don't raise a child. Cattle is raised or animals are raised in the farm or whatever it is. A child is cultivated. Because when the very nature of trying to raise a child means you already have all of your preconceived biases about how this child should be raised and what should happen with them and what their future looks like. And all of that is already, you know, you already decided what's going to happen. But parenting and leadership are about cultivating what already exists inside of this individual with the unique personality, character traits, challenges, all the things that God gave this person. So I really love that perspective because so much of today's conversation is going to really be about how do you cultivate this inside of your organization? So let's understand why distress tolerance is so important in our industry. The ability to tolerate stress enables our staff and our educators to maintain their composure remain present for the children that they have been entrusted to lead and be responsible for. And the ability to do all of that, even when faced with challenging behaviors, emotional outbursts, and demanding parents, that's what distress tolerance is, right? When we learn how to manage the overwhelm, right? Not 
take away the overwhelm because we don't take away something that's constantly going to be there. But how can we create stability and security and sturdiness in ourselves so that in turn, we can create an environment for the children that fosters their emotional development and emotional well-being? So I want to take a little bit of a different direction here for a moment, and I want to explain the differences between stress, distress, and eustress. I think that we kind of convolute the definitions of words, and words matter, especially when you're a leader and you're trying to communicate a specific message and you're casting a very articulate, very specific vision about where you want to take the organization, you need to understand what each of these words actually mean. So what is stress? Okay, stress is a psychological and physiological response to demands or pressures, whether they are real or perceived, right? It doesn't matter if we are perceiving that this is a stress or it's an actual real stressor sitting in front of us. Okay, the body's stress response is meant to prepare us to deal with the challenges or the threats that are coming at us. So you can have acute stress or chronic stress. Acute stress is this short term feeling nervous before a particular situation. So acute stress will typically happen in the beginning of the school year, you'll have a teacher who is a little bit anxious about stepping into the classroom, or you'll have, you know, a director who was recently promoted, who's feeling a little bit anxious about her roles and responsibilities, and just the impact that she's supposed to have. And so she's feeling a little bit of stress and overwhelm about her new role. When stress, this acute stress is not managed appropriately and dealt with, it leads to chronic stress. Right. I often talk about how survival and being in chaos is a normal part of the human experience. We're all going to experience moments and seasons of chaos and instability. You need to know how to navigate through those seasons and know how to close the stress cycle, because if not, you will live in a constant state of survival and survival eventually just becomes a habit where you don't even know how to get yourself out of it. And this happens a lot in childcare, which is why so many people are in chronic stress, which leads to burnout, which leads to them leaving the industry altogether. Chronic stress is constantly feeling overwhelmed and pressured due to heavy workloads or family responsibilities. So you can have a lot of your leaders feeling this chronic stress because they don't know how to reorganize and reshift the heavy workloads that they have. So in the beginning of the school year or in a particular season of high enrollment or a particular season of, you know, higher staffing where you're enrolling a lot of staff at the same time, you can have a particular leader that has a little bit of an increased workload. Now, humans can endure an increased workload. Um, I recently saw a really great definition for the word endure, which is to patiently sacrifice. So enduring is you're very patiently sacrificing something, you're enduring something. And in the beginning of difficult seasons, leaders are enduring, right? They are patiently sacrificing certain things while they wrap up or work through this particular project or season. 
we have to put end dates for survival, for acute stress. There has to be a date where we say, okay, by November 1st, we have to revisit everyone's workloads so that we can ensure that we're managing capacity appropriately. Because what happens is, is we get so used to the stress and then the leader's like, well, everyone's doing fine. Everyone's managing it great. And then we add the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And we don't understand that it's a house of cards that's about to collapse. And I know this is so contrary to what is preached out there in leadership, specifically in schools, which is do more, do more, do more and grow, grow, grow. We have to understand how we're managing capacity and acute and chronic stress and the impact that it has on that. So that's stress. Now let's talk about what distress is. Distress, like I explained earlier in the episode, is the negative stress that exceeds a individual's ability to cope effectively. Okay, so let me say that again so you really understand what managing distress and what distress tolerance is. Distress is, can this person, right, when the person is in distress, their capacity to cope with what they have has exceeded what they can manage. And so distress tolerance you'll often see is characterized by feelings of anxiety, helplessness, and just a sense of being unable to manage the demands that we're placing on them. And so distress leads to physical and emotional health problems if they're not managed appropriately. What is eustress? Eustress, which is spelled E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, you just understand what I'm saying. Eustress is a positive stress. It comes from exciting or challenging situations that really in, in, enhances our motivation and our performance. So it's this stress response that's actually beneficial when we are about to start a new job or take on this new thing um, or preparing for a particular competition or a sports event or something that we're passionate about. There will be feelings of eustress that will arise. Understanding the difference between the three of these really helps you have better language when you're talking with your staff. I see this far too often where you'll have, so this happened just a couple weeks ago, actually, in our legacy group, we were having a conversation with a couple of our legacy owners. And one of the owners had shared that one of her directors is struggling with building relationship with a particular teacher. And as I started to ask questions, like I always do um, when I'm coaching a client, right? I don't just give advice. I've said this in many podcast episodes before. Advice, tips and tricks is the lowest form of advice. It is the lowest form of support. A good question is the highest form of coaching. So I always ask really good questions. And then throughout our just little question back and forth conversation, we got to the root of this particular director is a very positive, upbeat person. And so when people present challenges to her, she believes that the medication or the cure to any challenges is you just need to be positive. You just need to think positively through it. Like you're going to be fine. Like I got you. Don't worry. You're going to be fine in 90 days. Like it's a little bit hard in the beginning, but you got this right. And keeps pumping them up. And that is a little bit delusional in thinking that the answer to every problem is just you just need a little bit of positivity in your life. 
And so I was coaching the owners on how to help this director become a little bit more self-aware of how she's coaching her teachers through this. And one of the strategies that I gave, which we'll talk about in the next episode, is how to have a better filter when you're chatting and talking with your staff. Because if we don't understand the difference between what overwhelm is, what stress is, what distress is, what anxiety, what all of these things are versus what is like, okay, this person's just feeling a little bit of this stress, the you stress before they take on this new challenge and they need some motivation and some pushing, like you got to know what you're doing. And being in leadership is a huge responsibility. It's not just about, oh, I'm the director. Okay, but do you actually know how to lead an individual? And leading an individual is really having super high levels of self-awareness in yourself, but also relational intelligence about other human beings. Um, And if you want strategies on relational intelligence, you could go back um, and listen to our podcast episode on relational intelligence and how to build that skill. So let's dive back in here. So we're really talking about all these differences in stress, distress, eustress, and how kind of that plays itself out inside of the childcare facility. So now let's go a little bit deeper in understanding the correlation between stress and performance. We need to understand how distress tolerance and how a teacher or director's inability to manage their stress effectively, how that impacts performance inside of the overall organization, okay? So the first place that it really impacts is job satisfaction. Teachers under distress experience reduced job satisfaction because their workload has been increased, they are in a challenging classroom environment, they're feeling burnt out, they don't know how to manage that stress, and now they're not as happy. And we all know that staff who don't know how to find internal happiness inside of themselves and manage their stressors, they are super high risk for leaving the organization. Where else is the correlation between stress and performance? Emotional exhaustion. Distress leads to emotional exhaustion making it really challenging for teachers to effectively manage their own emotions inside of the classroom. So when you have regular typical child behavior inside of a classroom, like a child biting or having an accident or touching another kid or pulling hair or flicking on and off the lights or having a hard time zipping their coat or, you know, struggling with picking up their pants after they use the bathroom or making a mess at the sink when they were trying to wash their hands after a pain activity or throwing their plate in the garbage and half the pasta that they ate is now on the floor and on the, on the wall, like hello, childcare, like this happens all the time. But when we don't know how to manage our own stress, then witnessing a three-year-old go and throw their spaghetti meatball plate in the garbage and clumsily miss, and now the sauce is all over the wall, the pasta is all over the floor, there is a mess everywhere, the child is crying because they're upset at themselves, you have to quickly go clean that up before someone else slips and hurts themselves. Um, you're on a time constraint because you got to get the kids outside to their yoga class or whatever instructor is coming next, right? Or it's right before dismissal or whatever. But just insert your own stressor. How does the teacher know how to manage themselves in those moments? We spend so much time focusing on policies, on procedures, on processes, on SOPs, 
Your staff need to know how to manage their emotions. That is the superpower in leading a phenomenal classroom. They can bypass any SOP that you create or any training module that you give them. They need to know how to manage themselves. Now, I'm all for the right behavioral strategies. There's great trainings on that, conscious classroom, conscious discipline, amazing, amazing, amazing trainings on how to effectively manage the children in the classroom. But I am telling you, you have to know how to manage yourself before you know how to manage anyone else, no matter their age, even in the infant room. One of the things I tell leaders all the time is when you onboard your staff, when you onboard your infant teacher, one of the questions you need to ask her is, what are your strategies for managing your stress level when the babies start crying? Because guess what? Babies cry. And you can be in the classroom for years. You need to know how to manage yourself when the baby's crying, right? I have four kids. I still get stressed out when I hear babies crying. It, it dysregulates us. And so we have to know how to regulate ourselves when we hear things. So you can give lots of strategies on how do we soothe the baby? How do we calm the baby? How do we bring the baby back? Okay, first, I want to know, how do you soothe yourself? How do you calm yourself? How do you bring yourself back to homostasis when the baby's crying? Because then you don't need to do any tactics because the baby energetically feels your energy. So it doesn't matter what strategy you're trying to implement. If you are not in a state of calm, It doesn't matter what you're implementing. The baby will not respond to your energy because your energy is frantic. So let's move on. Where else does stress, distress impact performance? This is a big one. Lesson planning and creativity. When someone has high levels of distress, it completely impedes their ability to be creative and be innovative, specifically when it comes to lesson planning or classroom design or learning experiences, their brain has no capacity for that because it's all used on survival and managing stress. There's a really great show. um, I think it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime. I don't know. Um, It's called Undercover Billionaire. And I want Mayor and I watched the first uh, season of that. And one of the lines that the guy was talking about this billionaire in the episode is he said, Every minute that he was spending on survival was a minute that he could not work on his business. So he was dropped down in the middle of nowhere with like a hundred bucks and like, I don't know, a cell phone. And he had to build a million dollar business in 90 days. But first he had to take care of his basic needs, right? He had no place to live. He had no food, no shelter, no nothing. Um, So he had to figure out how to make enough money just to get his, you know, a roof over his head. And by day 18, like he still didn't have a roof over his head. And he's like, every day that I'm in survival is a day that I can't work on my business. How powerful is this in us understanding the impact that distress has on our staff? Every moment that they're in distress tolerance, that they don't know how to manage that, that they don't know how to pull out of that is days and weeks and months that they can't be creative. So, so many leaders listen to my podcast or they go to events or they go to conferences and they're really trying to, you know, get the best ideas. How do I motivate my staff? How do I retain them? How do I help them be more creative? How do I help them think big picture? How do I help them innovate inside of the classroom? Again, let's start at the foundation. 
if we want someone to be creative and innovative, they actually have to have brain capacity to think creatively. When you are in a constant state of stress and don't know how to manage and close your stress cycle, you cannot be creative and innovative. You just can't. Where else does it impact? Student relationships. Distressed teachers struggle to build strong and positive relationships with children. We know this from the science, right? Let's take a parent-child relationship. When a child grows up in a home where one parent is struggling with a mental illness, whether that's anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, whatever it is, that really impacts the child because that parent's ability to forge an authentic and deep, meaningful relationship with the child is massively hindered by the person's mental struggle, by their emotional struggle. And so the same thing is inside of the classroom. When a teacher is struggling with managing their stress, they can't create a relationship with the child. They can't create a relationship with the families. They're in survival. They are in survival. I'll share one more point with you here. How stress impacts performance. It impacts professional development. Distress hinders a teacher's engagement in their professional development opportunity. It limits their growth and their professional advancement. When you're in survival, you're not thinking about how do I become better? How do I grow? How do I evolve? What conferences do I want to go to? What trainings do I want to listen to? What podcasts do I want to be a part of? Is there any mastermind groups that I want to connect with? Should I be looking at opportunities for promotion inside of the organization? Should I raise my hand and take on more responsibility? You're like sinking. You're not taking on any extra responsibility. And so what happens a lot is you have really great, really talented staff that are so burdened by the stressors and don't know how to manage them that we miss out on incredible opportunity to promote from within, to give people greater opportunity to contribute to our organization, greater opportunity for purpose and meaning in their life, to contribute to the company's mission and vision. Like these are big things. And we don't think about these big concepts because we are so focused on the wrong things. We don't even have time to pause for a second and understand like which direction do you actually want to be going to? So let's turn to some solutions here, right? Let's, let's turn to some strategies on how we build our distress tolerance as ourselves, as a school leader. One of the first things that we want to look at is understanding how to cope with adversity. So first asking yourself, how do I cope with adversity? Let's start with simple adversity, difference of perspective, difference of opinion at a staff meeting at a huddle, at your leadership meetings? How do you manage different perspectives and opinions? So there's a great quote, like, just like no two people's faces look the same, there are two people don't have the same opinion or the same perspective. And so in the same way that you wouldn't like get upset at someone for not having the same face as you, you know, getting frustrated that someone has a different perspective or different opinion than you, is it's like the same thing. People have different lenses and perspectives of the world. And so your first question as a leader for self-reflection here is asking yourself, how do I manage my own distress when someone has a different opinion than me? And I'm not talking about simple things like let's put purple paint instead of pink paint on the welcome, you know, I don't know, piazza or the welcome room. I'm talking about something that you really feel strongly about. Maybe it's your political beliefs. Maybe it's your religion. Maybe it's your values. 
Maybe it's your faith. Maybe it's, I don't know, a particular way that you've always done something inside of the organization. How do you handle someone's difference of perspective? What, what do you actually do? Another insightful question I want you to look at. How do you cultivate your own positive mindset? Right? How do you cultivate your ability to look at things with the right perspective? So when things come up, when challenges arise, this isn't about, you know, holding a dance party with, you know, pom-poms and cheerleaders. It's like, okay, we got this. Don't worry. Rah, rah. Victor Frankl, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about this concept called tragic optimism. And he talks about how in the camps during the Holocaust, the survivors, the people who survived the worst of worst of what man has done to man is not people that cultivated a positive mindset. They were actually people that understood tragic optimism, which is understanding how to find meaning and hope in challenging moments. I'm going to say that again because it's a very big difference. It's how to find meaning and hope in challenging circumstances. So it's not about finding the silver lining or the positivity in it. It's how are you finding hope of however you define that for yourself? And how are you finding meaning within the challenge that you're experiencing? Because as humans, we're meaning-making machines, right? We want to find meaning and our brains are craving to find the reason and the story behind what we're experiencing. And the ability to manage distress is how do you cultivate hope and meaning, right? Tragic optimism in those really challenging moments. I think that distress tolerance and knowing how to sit in this discomfort is really hard. And I saw a really interesting um, post by Kate Northrup. You can follow her on Instagram. She's got some really great content. Um, she's an author of a book, um, like Fleeting My Mind, what's the name of her book? Um, but one of the things she was talking about is she said as a leader, she can do really hard things, um, but she can't do easy things. She was talking about how like, she's like, I can create, you know, a complex marketing funnel. Or I could create, you know, a great coaching experience, but you know, I can't book a flight um, or like, you know, go grocery shopping. And I was laughing because I so resonate with that. Like I can do really hard things ask really hard questions, sit in a lot of discomfort, uh, but it's really difficult for me to do really easy things like book a flight. I can't tell you how many times I've booked a flight on the wrong date or writing the wrong person's name in or the wrong birth date. I don't know how to fill out forms. Like I can't do easy things. That's why I have a team. Why am I bringing it up here? Because cultivating your ability to sit in discomfort, which is really hard, is a superpower. It's incredibly, incredibly valuable to know how to do this. So if you're listening, you're thinking, okay, how do I do this? How do I sit in this discomfort? How do I learn how to manage my distress better, right? How do I actually do this? The first step is knowing how to regulate your nervous system, simple emotional regulation. So I have a podcast episode on emotional regulation. You could go back and listen to that. Also knowing how to create regular emotional regulation strategies within your day. So what happens a lot is we go, 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 and then we take a break when we travel to a conference or we go, 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 and then we take a break when we go on vacation. 
Our retail will go and we rest on the weekend. Our bodies are not designed to do that. Your brain is not designed to do that. You are making super high stake decisions on a daily basis and thinking is not without cost. It is not without penalty. Using your brain to think actually exhausts the body, the physical body, besides for the mind, it exhausts the physical body. And so creating regular rest into your week and your day is critical to managing your stress cycle. I have another great conversation on anchors versus enhancers. All of those links you can find in the show notes. Those are phenomenal strategies that you can dig into to know how to manage your distress better. Another great strategy is regular check-ins and debriefing sessions with yourself and your leadership team. These sessions serve as opportunities to really discuss the challenges and how you guys are implementing distress tolerance and resiliency strategies. This is your opportunity to get this 360 feedback. And it's a lot of vulnerability to have those conversations. I've had numerous conversations with my head of marketing, as I had of membership um, just over the last two years that our company has been very strategically in a maintenance mode, um, building strong foundations and assets. We've had so many conversations of how my evolution in my ability to manage stress and know how to sit in the discomfort and knowing how to make discerning decisions and knowing when to insert myself versus when I, you know, shouldn't insert myself. Those are really difficult skills to learn. And when your team you invite them into the growth process, uh, you learn those skills and they stay, right? We're not just here to learn hacks or tricks. I want you to change and overall, like overhaul how you actually manage your distress. And lastly, it's celebrating growth and progress, right? It's recognizing like, wow, I actually handle that situation so differently than I used to than a couple of months ago. Um, and this is where community comes in, right? Where you're cheering each other on and you're supporting one another um, and you're reaching out to mentors or mentors are telling you like, hey, I notice that you sound different. Your confidence level is different. You're handling this situation differently. So many times we're in the thick of it, we don't realize how much we've progressed and how much we've evolved. That feedback loop of showing yourself that you have grown in your ability to manage your distress and your discomfort gives you more confidence, right? Because confidence is earned, not learned. It is earned. And how you earn the confidence of knowing how to sit in the discomfort and manage stress is from closing that feedback loop. So in the next episode, I'm really going to dive into understanding how to build a distress tolerance toolkit for yourself and for your staff um, and understanding how to teach that. So I really want to invite you, if you enjoyed today's podcast episode and you are interested in learning more of these strategies, you are interested in being supported by a community, by mentors, by coaches who can guide you in building these really important foundational skills, I'd love to invite you to apply to our Directors Inner Circle or Owners HQ program um, and see if it's a right fit. See if this is the right season uh, to join us and take your school to the next level and transform yourself, your life, and your center. Thanks so much for joining. If you are loving the Schools of Excellence podcast and have gotten any value out of it for your school, I would love if you can do two things for me. One, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And two, can you please leave us a review? 
Reviews help other school leaders know that this is the place to learn how to build a school of excellence. And I would be so grateful if you can do that for us. Your help and support makes this show to be able to be listened by the thousands of other school leaders all around the world. Thanks so much for listening, for giving us your time and attention each and every week. And I appreciate that you have joined us. Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.